Good morning, my friends. I am Pastor Stephen Brooks, and welcome today to our midweek Bible study called Morning Glory. Today we're going to be in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and a little bit of chapter 6. We want to talk about the Lord dwelling in a cloud of thick darkness, a rather interesting statement made in the scriptures, and we want to peer into that divine mystery. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the scriptures so that we can understand them, enjoy them, apply them to our lives, and enjoy the peaceable fruit of righteousness that comes by being a practitioner of your word. Now, Father, we thank you. We bless you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. We agree and say, Amen. Chapter 5, So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Verse 11, And it came to pass when the priest came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites, who were the singers, also those of Asaph and Heman and Jejuthun, uh, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests, sounding with trumpets. Now, the temple has been completed. It is now time for the dedication. Everything is in order. The priest, the Levites, who are the assistants to the priest, and who carry out many of the temple functions, such as the praise and worship, uh, guarding the temple, many other uh, things along that line. Everything is in order. The singers are there. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And I think that's something that as we say and we proclaim, or even such a short little statement that you could put to your own little tune or your own little song or hymn, that it does draw the presence of the Lord. Now, as they were singing that and as they were proclaiming that, the house, the house of the Lord, which would be the temple, was filled with a cloud. And this, according to the Hebrew scholars, the rabbis, was known as the Shekinah, God's presence, coming in the form of a cloud. Now, we know that God is not a cloud. When I was a young man, a young boy, actually, growing up in church, and back in the days when churches had Sunday school, you know, you would have Sunday school class first, and then after that, you would all go to the general assembly for the main message from the pastor. But you would have teachers teach, uh, you know, the children, the youth, the various ages and so forth. And I, I remember one time the Sunday school teacher was teaching that we don't really know what God is like. We don't know what he looks like. He could just be a cloud. We really don't know, and we won't know until we get to heaven. And of course, you know, me, me and the other little kids just thought, wow, 
Maybe God's a cloud. And then the teacher said, you know what? When we get up there, maybe we'll just all be like some kind of ethereal vapor. We just don't know. Now, of course, when you grow up and you read the Bible and you use your brain and, and you can see the scriptures, you realize how foolish that type of uh, thinking was, that type of teaching was. Uh, that, that's somebody that didn't prepare for the message. <laughs> that was teaching us <laughs> because we're made in the image of God. That includes fingers, hands, feet, uh, you know, eyes, all of that. Uh, so God is not a mist. Now, God is a spirit, uh, but uh, his spirit has form, and we uh, are made in his image, praise God. So, uh, it, I, I mean, he's a being. He is a person. He sits on a throne, and I, I've seen his hands. I've seen his feet. So you can't see his face. One day we'll see his face. I'm talking about the Father. But my friends, God is a very real person. Now, the, the house was filled with the cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, the density of the cloud, the glory of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. If you've ever been in that glory, it can do strange things to your physical body. Uh, you can lose strength. Uh, you, you, you sense the realm of eternity, which is a timeless realm. It's a fascinating place to be. Uh, the priests, they, they just couldn't minister. They could not carry out the duties there at the temple because of this glory. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. Amen. And in moments like that, you just soak in God's presence. You just enjoy Him. Verse 6, excuse me, chapter 6. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. A place for you to dwell in forever. Now, the allusion here to the Lord dwelling in a dark cloud, I think we can look at it through some different lenses and you can get, get some different insight. But let me just say this from a from a technical uh, point. When the priest went into the holy place, morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, there would be the burning of the holy incense in Hebrew, the Keterit, that would be offered up twice daily. And it would burn for a long time. We're told about that in the book of Exodus chapter 30. You're you're listed there the five primary ingredients in the incense, but as the rabbis teach, there were also the oral instructions, uh, not just the written instructions of what goes in it, but also oral information of what was to go in it. So technically, there are actually 11 spices that, uh, herbs and spices that make up the keteret. And it was this beautiful incense. Now, incense is burned, and so when the smoke would go up, it would release the most phenomenal fragrance. And there's many reasons for that. We know that the incense is a representation of prayer, but you have to understand also the Old Testament culture. With all of those sacrifices and all of that blood flowing from all the animals that are being slain, you basically have on site a large slaughterhouse. You have all of these animals that are dying. Now they're going to be burned but still, you have that smell of all of that blood and 
all of those activities. So that incense, that keteret, was a phenomenal fragrance that just knocked down any unpleasant smells. And there are many uh, recordings about this incense that it could be smelled literally 20 miles away. They said you could smell it in Jericho. As a matter of fact, some of the shepherds said that their, their goats would even sneeze when they would smell that, that incense burning. So it, it was very, very powerful. But the Lord, the Lord dwelling in the dark cloud is a direct uh, uh, reference also to the once a year Yom Kippur day when the high priest would, of course, not only minister in the holy place, but he would go once into the most holy place. And he was not allowed to go in without bringing the holy incense. So he would carry holy incense in there, and there was a reason for that. There was a special ingredient in the incense that not only made it appear to be miraculous in nature where it would go straight up, and, and a, like, a, like a flagpole, the smoke would go straight up, but the secret ingredient that was kept in there, in the incense, it also allowed the high priest, when he went into the most holy place, it allowed the smoke from the incense as it burned to go up directly, but then it would spread out and it would come down in a very special way. The smoke would come down and then it would form and cover the area right between the two cherubim that are over the mercy seat. And uh, the rabbis argue a lot whether this was really something God required. They, the rabbis actually believe that this was required. They believe that they have scriptural, the way they look at the scriptures is that you had to have that secret ingredient in there. There's a lot of uh, discussion on what that ingredient was. I go into detail on that in my new book, which will be coming out uh, in a few months down the road from now. Uh, but, my friends, that cloud would settle between the two cherubim, and it would block the high priest from directly looking at, in essence, the Lord who dwelt between the cherubim. So it's not like the high priest could, you know, walk into the most holy place and say, well, Lord, look at you. There you are right there dwelling between the cherubim. Now, God, I always wondered what you looked like. Well, <laughs> we, we know that it was actually the presence of the Lord. So, But even still, he could not directly see that because of the smoke that would form in that area and veil out that presence. But even still, the glory, the, the radiating presence of God, it was not only going through the holy place, it was going through the whole temple. And even the priests couldn't minister. So that's that darkness also, the Lord's dwelling in darkness. Or he's actually dwelling in the smoke of that cloud from the incense that's going up and it's all forming right around the mercy seat there on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Praise the Lord. Now, it is out of these places of the deeper communion with the Lord in the thick, dark cloud where that glory affects your thinking, it affects your ability to prophesy, it affects your ability to hear, and it's a place of receiving very accurate ministry. I've had too many phone calls lately 
from other pastors asking my insight, asking what I think about certain past scenarios of, of the whole line of prophets that missed it with President Trump. And they've asked me what I thought. So I, and I've, I've told them and they, they've, they've said, well, you know, you know, Stephen, you should share that, you know, what you're sharing with us, with other people so that they can understand because I was sharing some things. They said that they, they had never really thought about before. So we're going to touch on that today a little bit. Let me, let me back up a few months and give you an example. I went out to California to minister. There was an associate pastor that I was talking with during dinner the evening before I was going to minister. And he was, he was so uh, wired about Trump getting reelected. So this was before the election. But he was so adamant that Trump was going to get reelected. And he said, it's going to happen. It is absolutely going to happen. And uh, I tried to temper his enthusiasm a little bit by basically saying, well, unless God has told you it's going to happen, you can't really say that. Now, I expressed on one of my programs, I think a Morning Glory program, that uh, it looks like he's going to win. But I also said, I don't have any direct word from the Lord. It just looked, it looks like, I mean, when you look at the massive crowds, Trump was drawing, and you look at the enthusiasm and, and the heavy mo momentum he had and, a, and the stock market going through the roof, uh, it's really hard to beat a sitting president when you, when you have all of those things going. Nevertheless, um, we have a different president right now. Now, the, the uh, debating about whether or not he's, you know, Mr. Biden is there through cheating, <laughs> you know, or through uh, wrongdoing. Uh, that's a different discussion. So I'm not, I'm not going to really even get into that. You know, well, is he a fraudulent president? Well, they had fraudulent high priest. You know, you could actually, it actually got so bad with the, um, with the temple situation, you could actually buy the office of the high priest. And so uh, political corruption, religious corruption, it's nothing new on the earth. But nevertheless, uh, what so many were thinking and what so many were focused on within maybe we could say the conservative party or, or also primarily within the church uh, was that Trump was going to get reelected. And it looked like he would. But, you know, unless God had given you a firm word, you couldn't, you couldn't make a declaration like that, although many did. So I was talking to this associate pastor, and he was so gung-ho that Trump was going to win. And I tried to temper his enthusiasm just a little bit. Uh, should it go in a different direction? Because like I said, you have no thus saith the Lord. But he was like, oh no. He said, prophet so-and-so said that he's going to be elected and it's going to happen. I said, well, uh, what, prophet, uh, what prophet are you referring to? And he named the prophet. I said, oh. I said, now you do know that he's been wrong on many other things. I mean, he, he, he has said that this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and then that's going to happen, and none of it ever happened. None of it ever happened. Well, yes, but he was right on that one, and he's going to be right on this one, though. I said, well, that, that's, I, I hope he is. But I said, you kind of have to not be so, um, like, uh, <laughs> going crazy over it. Need to calm down. <laughs> But he wouldn't. He was so amped up about it. <laughs> now, look, in order to try to help him, should things go in a different direction? And we all know they did. Isn't it funny? 
Isn't it funny that all the prophetic voices, your, your odds of getting it right are 50-50. I mean, there's only two choices. And for so many to have still gotten it wrong, um, uh, there's a lot to ponder concerning all of that. But back to my associate pastor friend. Um, he's not my associate pastor, but he's a friend. Um, as we were talking, I said, listen, can I share a story with you that might help you as we're about to see who's going to, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the election? He goes, okay. And so let me take you just for a moment also, those of you that are watching, back to the year, uh, 2008, an election year. And, you know, we were also rolling into a recession uh, in the nation. We didn't really know it at that time. It was about to really unravel. But, you know, another fierce election. And at our ministry, we had a different ministry office at that time. At our ministry offices, we, my wife and I, we were inviting our ministry partners, and we were inviting other praying Christians within the community, the Spirit-filled community, to come so that we could pray for God's man to be elected. And, of course, we're praying along the line of, God, give us a president who will protect the unborn. Give us a president. And, you know, you only had one option because the other one doesn't believe in that. Lord, give us a president that loves Israel and will stand with Israel. And you only had one option because the other one greatly despised Israel. And so we're praying, you know, for this man to be elected in a sense. And so this, this went on for quite some time as we're getting closer and closer to the election in November. Okay. So we got to the last prayer meeting that we could have before, you know, it's time to vote. And on the last prayer meeting, on the last night, and the room was full of people, people all over praying on their knees. And, you know, I, I'm the head of the prayer group. This is at my ministry office. But we had people from different churches, different spirit-filled uh, churches and ministries there praying. And right at the end of the prayer meeting, after, after we'd all prayed for quite some time, I had an anointing to look up. Something quickened me to look up because I was looking down praying. And when I looked up, I saw Jesus walk right through the wall. He had a white robe on. I've seen him before. I knew exactly who he is. Plus, uh, the moment you see him, you'll always know who he is. He, <laughs> unmistakable. Uh, the glory, the, the kingly anointing, no mistaking the Son of God. So he walked into my room, into the office, in that big room where we're all praying. And he walked over to me, and he, he looked at me, and he, he reached out and put his hand on me, on my shoulder, and he said, thank you, I, he looked at me eye to eye. He's standing up. I'm kneeling down. He said, thank you for praying. But it's not going to go the way. It's not going to go the way that you want it to. And I knew exactly what he meant by that. It meant the other guy is going to win. Now, that doesn't mean it was his, his, his God's will for that other person to win. But for whatever reasons, and that's a different message in and of itself, reasons, certain things go the way they do. For whatever the reasons were, uh, it's this other gentleman is going to win. But he thanked me for praying. I said, bless you, Lord. I said, praise you, Lord. Thank you. And he turned around. He walked away and just, as only God can do, right through the wall and disappeared. And I pondered just for a second. And then I looked over to my left, and there was a young man smiling. He had a grin like this. Oh, he was smiling. He was looking at me. And when I looked over at him, he was smiling, and he said, Stephen, 
He said, I saw him. He said, the Lord walked right through the wall. He, I saw him walk over to you and talk to you. And then there was some kind of exchange and he turned around and walked back. He said, I saw him. I said, well, obviously you did. Amen. So the Lord had opened, Holy Spirit had opened his eyes and he saw that. He was, he thought that was phenomenal. And it was. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He didn't know what the Lord told me. And I didn't tell the people there. But um, so anyhow, having had that experience, I tried to share that with the assistant pastor at this church in California. I said, look, we can have our persuasions. We can have biblical reasons for the way we're praying. And we can even be praying accurately in agreement with God's will. But it doesn't mean that we're going to get what we want because sometimes there's other factors involved and we have to be aware of that. And I told him what happened and how the Lord told me it's not going to go the way that you want it to. Uh, but, you know, thank you for praying. And, and I told him that and he he seemed to listen a little bit, but it didn't really damper his, no, you watch, Pastor Stephen. Trump's going to win. Trump's going to win. And all these bad guys, all these corrupt officials, they're going to jail probably within just a couple of days. And uh, he was... He still had that, that edge. He was wired. Well, I went back just a couple months after that. You know, that, that hasn't been that long ago. And uh, the last time I saw him, he, he looked like, wham, somebody had deflated him. He was like a balloon that had gotten totally deflated. <laughs> Why? I knew Because I knew that was going to happen. You have gotten so worked up that if it doesn't work out, there's going to be like, now that prophet said, you know, now, now, now people are frustrated. Uh, and, and although this man is an associate pastor um, and a nice guy, a, a great assistant, a great worker, uh, you know, it's not like some ministers, though, really have a lot of spiritual depth where things don't, you know, it, it shook him. It shook him. And he was like, uh, uh, he didn't really like want to say, well, you're right, Stephen, but he was kind of like, he was just so deflated. He looked like a totally different person. My friends, you have to become familiar with this dark cloud, uh, going into it, into the very presence of God, and getting very, very still, very, very, very quiet in order to pray accurately, hear accurately. How about this? Even ask God the right questions. <laughs> How about this next time? Here's a novel idea. Next time we roll around to an election, um, how about asking God this before even, and this is what I've learned, even before really praying, Lord, I'm praying for this person. Why not just ask God, God, uh, after it's all said and done, who's going to win anyhow? Who's going to win? <laughs> what if God told you the other person, maybe you could call him the bad guy is going to win <laughs> or the bad gal. <laughs> what if God said, well, you can pray all you want, but that person's going to win. That's fascinating. Jeremiah, Jeremiah told the king and Jeremiah told all the people of Israel, you can do everything you, can, you, you want to prophesy against what I'm saying. And you can, you, can, you can get hundreds of prophets and line them all up and all prophesy against what I'm saying. But we're all going into captivity. Now, now that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what I'm saying the American church is going to happen or anything like that. But Jeremiah basically said, I've heard from God. And uh, we got a bunch of clowns over here acting like prophets, and they're saying something completely different. And we're all going to find out. And unfortunately, you guys are going to find out the hard way because you're going to you're just digging you're digging the pit deeper by trying to live in the fake reality and thinking this is all going to go a, a hopeful direction. And it's not. 
It's not. It's too much sin, too much sin in Israel. You're doing worse things than what the heathen nations are doing. And so this judgment, this ruler is going to come in, and he's going to conquer, and there's nothing you can do about it. So uh, very, very interesting how God works with people or even with nations that are in a form of covenant with him. So sometimes it's good to just ask, Lord, before I invest three months of prayer in this, is what's the end result going to be? Am I supposed to even be pouring my heart out like this when it's not even going to, uh, I mean, can you imagine Jeremiah saying, well, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to pray for uh, uh, Judas King anyhow. Maybe you'll just find a way to get us out of this. Nope, wasn't going to happen. Jeremiah knew the truth and just was braced for it. So why, why go in a wrong direction? Praise the Lord. Very interesting things to follow uh, and to consider. Now, here's an interesting verse. Exodus chapter 23, let's jump back to the Torah. Exodus 23, verse 2. You shall not follow a crowd of prophets. Oops, that's not what it says, is it? That's maybe a modern-day translation that uh, has been read lately. Let's jump to the real thing. Verse 2, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. You shall not follow a crowd. Be very careful about crowds. Um, even if it's a crowd of prophets, because you can create this bandwagon platform that can get momentum and can get generated. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons why we had a, a prophetic crowd that was going in the wrong direction. I would say, first of all, is because people within the body of Christ, they wanted answers. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Who's going to win? What's going to be the outcome? And, you know, because the two that were, you know, Mr. Trump running and Mr. Biden uh, running, whoever's going to win, they have diametrically opposed agendas. So, uh, especially with uh, former President Trump, because he's an outsider, he's not a politician. So, uh, you know, those who are in politics, it's, it's not about the people. It's about them uh, patting their own pocket and serving their own interest. We all know that. But um, whatever the outcome is going to be, it's going to be dramatic. So people are wanting to know. And this created a, a, a great pull for information. We want to know. We want to know. And so if you were willing to step forth and give forth your voice, People were listening, but why? Because there's so many clamoring for an answer. And it was very quiet out there until you had certain ones that started to say, God told me that Trump's going to win again. He's going to get reelected. And uh, that began to get momentum. And then others really did, didn't pray. And so they jumped on that bandwagon. Before you know it, you have this big consensus of prophets. Not all, of course. There were those that stayed quiet. I stayed quiet because the Lord never told me anything. Uh, he didn't say anything to me, so I just stayed quiet, kept on teaching, stuff like that. Or it, now, look, if I would have wanted to have said something, I could have been all over all kinds of TV shows. I could have been on talk shows. Pastor Stephen, what has God told you about the election? Who's going to win? Is Trump going to win? God hasn't told me anything. Well, we don't, we don't have time for that. We need to find somebody that's going to give us the word of the Lord around here. And trust me, there are, they're, they're lined up by the hundreds 
that even if they don't have a word from the Lord, if you're going to give them a platform, oh, they'll fabricate one. They'll make one up. What would you like to hear? I'll say it because <laughs> it will increase my ministry. It will give me exposure. That's, that's, that's crazy stuff. That's crazy stuff. And um, I'll be honest. I think a lot of these talk show hosts, they're to blame for whooping it all up, you know, and uh, giving these people a platform that didn't deserve a platform, uh, did not have a true word, obviously, because it didn't come to pass. And now you had a 50-50 chance. You can't even get that right. So, um, you know, these are things that we have to consider and be aware of because another election is going to come around again. But even more importantly, um, a lot of this was actually taking the prophet's ministry way out of bounds. Please don't ever forget, my friends, that the, for, the first and foremost role of a prophet is not to go around prophesying, uh, prophesying, you know, saying, thus says the Lord, this and this and that and that, all kinds of prophecies flying left and right. Um, the primary role of a prophet is to preach and teach the gospel. That's the primary role of anyone that would be called to the fivefold ministry office, whether it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, is to minister the Word. Now, yes, any truly ordained ministry office will have supernatural equipment with it, but that's secondary. What's primary is the ministering of the gospel. So when you're trying to take a prophet and just having prophesy this, prophesy that, and they're not even teaching anything from the Word, it's just always, let's get him up and have him prophesy. What's going to happen? And, you know, that's all, that's all it is. That's uh that's a way out of balance, way out of line, usually ends uh, in a train wreck somewhere, and it, somebody's going to get a bunch of mud on their face. And sometimes you can see it coming from a long distance away. And so you've even had, now you've had a lot that have apologized to the body of Christ. And one particularly, he gave a beautiful repentance and apology. He basically said, for decades, I have always been known as the prophet who does not go along with all the other prophetic voices. And he said, I've always have been very accurate because I, I refuse to like listen to what's everybody else saying, and I'll base my prophecy upon that, and I'll tie into that, and then I'll get more exposure. He said, I've always veered away from that. But he said, this time, he said, I got pulled into it, and I got sucked into it, and I was going around telling people God told me that Trump's going to get reelected. And he said, I've never done it before. And the one time I did it, he said, it bit me really bad. And he said, I've learned, and I'll never do it again. <laughs> so I thought, I thought his repentance was very clean, very pure. But as I also anticipated, a lot of the other prophets who prophesied that Trump was going to win, that God told them that he's going to get reelected, you know, not, not, not later, right now. You know, now they're, they're shifting the, the line in the sand saying, well, we meant that later that maybe he'll come back four years later or eight years later. Now they re-alter what they say and they try to, you know, cover themselves for having blown it. And so, um, but that's what I thought some would do. Uh, you have those just like the ones that have, uh, remember Y2K, 1999, the year is going to end. We will not be able to roll into the year 2000 because the computer codes cannot have another zero rollover. So all the computers are going to shut down and we're going to go back into the stone age and stuff like that. And books were written on it and, uh, and messages were preached and uh, the books were selling by the hundreds of thousands, if not the millions. And it was a hot topic. 
And as we all know, it was, as they say, a big nothing burger. It, it did nothing happen. Nothing. All the stupid books written, all the messages, conferences, Y2K conferences, nothing happened. All of the, uh, uh, what, what do you call that food? Tribulation food, you know, uh, all the foods that people bought because Y2K is going to end everything and millions of dollars spent on, you know, food supplies and all of this stuff. So it's just total craziness. And um, very, very few of the ministers that hyped that and preached that actually repented. Most of them were like, well, we, sure, we were wrong, but we sure made a ton of money. <laughs> Oh, but here's the thing. You disqualify yourself from really getting the access into the dark cloud. Oh, yeah, there's, there'll always be a TV show that puts you on. If you'll speak along their political line or along their religious line and you're willing to say what they want to hear you say, they'll, you'll get on. And you, could, you can keep on going, but you can't get into that cloud. You, you don't know how. You, 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 don't, you don't have access into that holy of holies where you can find out what's really going on. Praise the Lord. And that's what we want to be able to do. Now, um, here's a major mistake that happened with why so many prophets missed it. And this is, this is the core reason why a lot of prophets missed it. Let's take an evangelist as an example for what I want to share with you. If you have an evangelist who is a street preacher and he wants to win the lost and he walks around on the street sharing Jesus with drug addicts, prostitutes. He's passing out uh, evangelistic tracts, asking people to read them and give their heart to Christ. And there are times he wins them to the Lord. But yet he himself, he's able to identify with those people. Maybe he's a little rough himself around the edges. You know, maybe he's uh, a former druggie, got saved, got delivered, and uh, all that's cool. And so that's his realm. Uh, he has an anointing as a street minister. He's a street evangelist. Now, the anointing can be in different levels. Let's say that you have a, a, a man or woman who's called into the ministry office of an evangelist. That means they do it full time. They're not working 40 hours a week, you know, at a corporate job and then going around ministering. No, they, they are called by God placed into a ministry office of an evangelist, and they do it full-time for a living. They go from church to church, meeting to meeting, and every time they go, they preach the gospel, and people get saved. And so you can have an evangelist doing that full-time, uh, has a full-time schedule that's booked. He's, every, he's somewhere every Sunday winning the loss to Christ. Maybe he wins 20 or 30 uh, every service to the Lord, and maybe sometimes he has a good meeting, and he'll win 200 people to the Lord. And so what would that be? Higher level anointing. Let's go higher. You have a stadium that seats 100,000 people. Let me ask you a question. You have a stadium that seats 100,000 people. Can you take the street preacher? Can you take the street preacher and put him in the stadium and have him minister and draw thousands to Christ. No, it's not the same anointing. What about Billy Graham? Could you take Billy Graham and have that stadium field 
And uh, by the way, there has to be a pool, a draw also. You get, it's not like they just show up. There has to be an anointing that pulls them. And the street preacher, they're not gonna, you're not going to have a, a stadium full of people show up to hear the street preacher. But Billy Graham, oh, they'll show up. And you have 100,000 people in the stadium. And he talks for 30 minutes. He just, not for two hours. He talks for 30 minutes, concludes his sermon which was a very simple sermon, concludes it with a prayer and, and an invitation to come forward and receive Christ. And they start coming from all over and they come by the thousands and they come by the thousands. What is that? Global level anointing. Global level anointing. Street preacher? Yes. Evangelistic anointing? anointing? Yes. Yes. Uh, another minister that maybe ministers 50 times a year, and maybe at the end of the year he's won 1,500 or 2,000 people to the Lord, that's wonderful. But, I mean, Billy Graham's going to do that in one service. Now, he's gone on to his reward in heaven. But what I'm trying to say is there are different levels of anointing in all of the ministry offices, including the prophet's office. And so, the problem that we saw with this election was that we had all of these prophets. And let me say this, some of them, you get them one-on-one -on -one with you, they can prophesy really good. When I'm talking about prophesying, I'm talking about ministering to you, uh, getting glimpses of your future, uh, having words of knowledge. Uh, and, and so that they can minister to you one-on-one -on -one really good. And some of them, you could put them in a church of 300 people, uh, and they can minister very, very well, have good results. But here's the problem. Many of them thought that they had an anointing to minister to the nations, to speak over a nation. They thought they had that anointing, and they didn't. They did not. They thought they would. They thought they did. And obviously they didn't because what they said was wrong. It didn't happen. So there are very few prophets on the earth that have the authority and the anointing to give utterances that affect nations or that are, that are spoken to national leaders. There's very few prophets with that, with that kind of anointing. Oh, no, there's hundreds of them, Pastor Stephen. We saw that in the last election. There's hundreds of them. There's hundreds, but they don't have that kind of anointing. And here's the problem. They all thought they did. They thought they did. They thought they could stand up because they were given these platforms because those that ran the platforms were desperate for answers. What's going on? He says he has an answer. Get him up here. And he gets up there thinking he has an anointing to speak to the nation and, and to speak over the whole world. And he gets up there and does all this stuff. Nothing happens. He's wrong. Why? Doesn't have the anointing to stand in that capacity. Can I give you a silly example? Totally true. 100% true. I had a neighbor one time invite me and my wife over for dinner at her house. She's a single lady. She wanted to invite us over because uh, we we're neighbors for dinner. So we went. Had ni nice food. She gave us some nice food. But she seemed, um, she seemed to be cut from a different cloth. And she was a spirit-filled Christian. But she seemed to have some quirky ways. And uh, as we, you know, as you eat, you know, you're going to talk. You're going to have conversation. We seem to kind of be uh, colliding on 
certain things and viewing things differently. And then I asked her a question and then that gave me insight into why she thought what she thought. She thought that everybody in the body of Christ who is a Christian is a minister. I said, now why do you think that? She said, my, my pastor told me that. She said, we're all ministers. I said, everybody is? She said, yep, all of us. I said, well, I know Paul said that we all have the ministry of reconciliation, but that, which is winning the loss to Christ, but the five-fold ministry office, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, you have to be called by God and placed by God as a min- uh, into that office, and thus you are a ministry gift to the, not only to the body of Christ, but to the world. She said, I don't believe in that. She said, I believe we're all, we're all ministers. I said, let me ask you a question. If I were to take you to Africa, to one of the large meetings they have over there, sometimes the meetings run over a million people, and Reinhard Bonnke is just about to minister uh, to a crowd of three million people, you're telling me that you could have him go sit down in a chair and you could stand up and do exactly what he does? and win a million to Christ, which he did in one service, you're telling me that you can do that? She said, yeah. She said, I can do that. No, I didn't tell her this. I'm glad I had food in my mouth and I was chewing it when she said it. But I'm having dinner with a fool. My wife and I are eating dinner with a fool who has no wisdom. What is wisdom? The ability to recognize difference. Difference in a situation. Difference in people, difference in the level of an anointing. Praise the Lord. She had no wisdom. She actually thought she could do what one of the world's greatest evangelists could do. She's not even called into the ministry. Totally, totally deceived. Totally deceived. That for some reason, that's a really bad prophetic bug that floats around in a lot of prophetic circles. We're all ministers. Well, if you are, show me your full-time schedule. How many churches do you preach in? I didn't preach in any. How many meetings you have scheduled? I don't have any, but I'm a prophet. No, you're a puppet. <laughs> and you've been propped up with a bunch of goofy stuff, and there's no proof in the pudding. And there certainly isn't any ministry gifts. Well, I prophesy. Well, it doesn't come to pass because you're speaking out of your own soulless realm. Mm-mm. Praise the Lord. Wisdom, the ability to discern difference. I had a man join my church some years back. Um, his name was Joel. He's, he's in heaven now. He lived his life out, passed away. I remember that after the first time he ever came to my church, um, he, uh, you know, I was teaching, and after I could tell he was like puzzled. He seemed puzzled. And then after uh, two times, he st- still seemed a little puzzled. And then the third time he had come, after that, after that message, he came up to me. And he said, he said, Pastor Stephen, I want to ask you a question. And he said, I don't understand it. I said, well, go ahead. He said, when I have sat in other churches and I've heard the preachers there who were, who were good men, but when they preached, it's very different from your preaching. I said, well, what do you mean it's different? He said, well, I guess the best way I could describe it is like at the other places when I sat in the other churches, it'd be like, I was in ninth grade, at very beginning level of high school, maybe like ninth grade. But when I sit in your, in your services and I hear your teaching, I feel like I'm sitting in like a master's class at university. 
Maybe I'm getting ready to take, you know, PhD courses or something. He said, it's different. And he said, I don't, he said, I don't understand it. I said, it's the anointing. I said, Joel, it's a different level of anointing. There's a different level of anointing upon the teaching. He said, he said, well, that's it. He said, I couldn't put my finger on it, but he said, that's what it is. You've got a bunch of prophets that think um, they're, they're, they're ready to push Elijah out of the way. I, I'm telling you, if Elijah and Enoch and Moses all stood up on the platform, they'd say, you three stand back. I've got the word. There are some. They're that dumb. They're, they're, they're that in love with themselves, <laughs> and they don't know. They don't have it. <laughs> and what happens when you do that? You're going to end up with mud on your face publicly, uh, maybe before millions of people making, making a fool of yourself because you think you're something that you're not. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. There are some, there are some prophetic voices right now. That there are, they are so deceived. They not only have not altered course, they've dug in their heels and said, God said that this thing shall not be. God said that Trump is coming back and that Pence will come back with him. And this thing is, and I mean, they're making it worse. Pence has said, hey, I'm done with politics. I'm never coming back. (laughs) Uh, Oh, God said he'll be back. I have a feeling most Republicans don't want him back. They don't want Pence back ever. (laughs) Woo, praise the Lord. So some some of these prophetic voices, they're trapped. And instead of just realizing, hey, I was wrong, they're so stubborn and they're so prideful and so deceived, they're making it worse by trying to just like, you know, God said, and they get real angry when they say it. And, you know, like that, that's going to make it authentic. No, it just shows that you're off. You're off. Praise the Lord. Mm-mm. Praise God. Well, there's grace. Maybe even humor in a lot of this. I'm glad we're not back in the Old Testament days. I, I've been wrong before on certain things. And, you know, then later, you know, you, you grow in grace, you grow in wisdom. So it's not like we're back in the old covenant where we stoned somebody if they were wrong. But we also have to be careful because we can hurt those if we are wrong. Uh, uh, those that are young in the Lord that don't, that don't understand these dynamics. How can they all say that and be wrong? Well, you know, there's reasons why. One of the reasons, Mark, well, the main reason why is they, they didn't have the anointing to minister on that level. They thought they did, but they didn't. And those that shouldn't have gave them platforms to get out there and speak to millions of people. And that came back on the host, too, that gave them uh, those platforms to do that because it was all wrong. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I think, I think we need to meditate on these types of things. The Lord is in that cloud of darkness. You have to be willing to go into that cloud to uh, get through all of the silly stuff sometimes. It's like Kenneth Hagin said many years back. He said, eat the hay, spit out the sticks. And those of you uh, that have been in the church, particularly in Pentecost or charismatic church for any time, you know there's plenty of sticks flying all over the place. <laughs> you can't digest that. You can't even eat it. <laughs> so spit it out, but eat the hay. Keep on going. Now, here's another takeaway from all of this. While I follow politics in a sense, I want, you know, I want to see good leaders, godly leaders, those that have biblical values, moral values, things that any Christian would uh, endorse or appreciate. Um, We have to also understand that on the right or in the Republican Party, 
there is almost like a new religion that I would call conservatism. Now, those, are, those that would be Democrat, they know exactly where they stand. They love killing babies, and they don't shy away from that. They are abortionists to the max, and if you're a Democrat, you realize that's part of your party's mantra. We abort babies, and I believe, uh, of course, that is a sin. But that's what they embrace. Uh, they have no problem with selling baby parts. If they can get away with it, they have no problem with doing anything like that. And uh, they're all for um, gender confusion. And if a young boy thinks he's a girl, they have no problem with giving permission for a doctor to uh, cut off his male organ or for a young girl to have her, her genitalia mutilated because she thinks she needs a change. Uh, th this stuff is embraced by the Democratic Party to the degree if God said it's good, they agree that it's bad. And if God said it's bad, they embrace it as good. And they're very vocal about that, public about that. That's just uh, out there for anybody to see. That's not something that's debatable. That's just something that they embrace. Anti-God, anti-Israel, anti-Bible, anti-morals, and on and on. That's, that's their stance. Now, on the right, you have those that don't go for that. Uh, we, like, we like law. We like order. We don't like violence. We don't like abuse of those things. But you have to have law and order, or you're going to have a, a barbaric world in which you live. But on the right, there is what is forming what I would call like a new religion called conservatism. And I've been to a large... Republican rallies. I've been around, you know, Republican leaders and stuff like that. But my friends, you have to realize that the only thing truly that can save America is repentance and a turning back to God, not by being conservative, but yet you're still unsaved or still living in sin. And so that's the problem that America faces right now on the right. I feel the Lord will deal with the left. I don't even really think in some ways that's the issue. I think the issue is the Lord dealing with the right and those on the right getting their hearts right. Because I've stood amongst many conservatives, and you just look around and you can't help but realize most of these people, they're not saved. Now, they may have conservative values. They may want small government. They may not want to get taxed 90% of their income. So they have some common sense, which is like, hey, you know, government's out of control. But at the same time, you need Christ. Praise the Lord. He's the only answer, not conservative government. Do I believe in conservative government? Yes. But um, you can be conservative and yet still not belong to the Lord. And that's what we're seeing. And that's why our nation is having a lot of the problems we're having. We had the Senate runoff in Georgia. You had a radical man on the left, a, a pastor actually, Mr. Warnock, running against an established Republican senator. And you would think, oh, this is an easy win. Uh, this, uh, she should be able to beat him because she is conservative in value. But you know what? He won. Despite his, what we would call radical ideas, hatred for the military, um, many things that he's upset about with our nation, he won. Why? Because although she's conservative, there's crookedness there. And if we call it what it is, she was directly involved in insider trading. And you should go to prison 
for having done that. But these people, just like those on the left that have these ways of getting away with things and not having justice done, they, they know how to pull those strings and they, they know how to avoid all of that because they, they kind of cover each other. Um, but my friends, being conservative does not make you right with God. Being right with God is being found in Christ. It begins there with salvation in Christ and then adhering to his commandments. Well, I'm conservative. I'm good enough to go to heaven. No, nobody's good enough to go to heaven unless you've had your sins washed away. If you can be conservative and go to heaven on your own, then Christ died in vain. There was no purpose for his sinless sacrifice, but he died to save sinners. And every human living on the planet has the Adamic sin nature in them. Thus, they're going to they're gonna need a cure for that. And salvation in Christ is the only cure, not being conservative. Praise the Lord. I have a feeling that the Lord will deal with the left. But on the right, we can't just say, we have conservative values, and uh, he would make a good president. Well, he, he's, he's living with his girlfriend. He's not even married. Uh, th- that's not the answer. The answer is that we must get back to God and live the principles of the Bible. Praise God. Hallelujah, and of course, have Christ in our heart. <laughs> so my friends, sometimes the answer is a little bit different than what we perceive. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We must, we must go into the presence of the Lord, which can be, uh, oh yes, we must go into the light. Well, sometimes you go into the thick darkness, the cloud of darkness. That's where he's at, dwelling between the cherubim. Glory to God. There's many divine puzzles, divine mysteries. But these are things that we should enjoy and should look into and pray about so that our prayers are on target. Thank you, Lord Jesus, so that our heart is in the right place. Mm -mm. It's an unusual thing. I fly a lot. Every time I get on an airplane, isn't it nice? Think about this, that there's no smoking. And as wild as the Democrats are, the you need both. You need, it takes two wings to fly the plane. And the reason I talk about there's no smoking on airplanes is not because, you know, you're riding on this, you know, flying machine that's carrying, you know, thousands of gallons of jet fuel that are highly explosive. No, the reason there's no smoking is because a Democrat, not a Republican, not a Republican, a Democrat basically said, uh, uh, I don't want to be breathing all this smoke. This is not good to be sitting in this, you know, tube with all these people breathing all this smoke because people used to smoke on planes all the time. Um, But uh, so he uh, began to work and craft a law that basically banned smoking on airplanes. Can you imagine going on an international 13-hour flight and the whole thing's full of secondhand smoke? Oh, how disgusting that would be. Well, that was a Democrat that fixed that for us. So both parties can contribute, but really Christ is the answer. Praise the Lord. And since I believe primarily that the Lord's going to do some special things, particularly through the youth to dramatically affect the left, I believe that the right needs to look to the Lord, not in just external ways of saying we're conservative in value. While, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. No, it needs to be real. We have to practice. 
what we preach. If you preach conservatism, why are you using so much profanity? So these things are very, very real. Praise the Lord. My friends, this is my take in the nutshell on some of the things that have, uh, you know, passed over the last few months as many have tried to move on quickly and forget about it and cover it up. <laughs> but these things, if they're not addressed, they'll happen all over again. Let me say this. Any prophet that has an anointing to prophesy to a nation or over nations or to a national leader, the moment they start prophesying, you can tell there's a difference. Just like that man sat in my church, said, Stephen, your teaching is different. It's it's, it's, he said, it's on a different level than other types of teaching I've heard. That's not to put down the other pastors. They're ministering the Word too, but can't you see the, the anointings on different levels? And we have got to get more accurate in the judging of this, in the judging of prophecy. And so, so much to do with that cloud revolves around that darker anointing. Woo! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We've got to become familiar with that. You should be able to recognize the sound not just the words, oh, I hear the sound, and I can tell God's moving. Boy, there is so much hype in the Pentecostal churches right now, so much brass. Huh. And remember, um, when the golden shields that Solomon made were taken away, well, his son said, well, they're all gone. Uh, sure, I sure like those shields. And so he remade them in brass. And you can shine brass up. It almost looks like gold, but it's not gold. And it certainly it doesn't have the same value or worth, not even anything close to it. We've got to get back to the gold standard, which is the glory. Having been in the cloud, coming out of that cloud and speaking, and also being able to have it come out of the cloud, being able to hear the distinctive difference in levels of anointing. You know, every move of God has had these challenges. Back in Azusa Street, uh, there in Los Angeles, when William Seymour was the pastor, he would go upstairs and pray. And he would, at times, let the meetings keep on running down below. And with any uh, global awakening like that, where you're having people literally come from all over the world to get into your meetings, and they would, they would often have 3,000 people in the services, but the people are coming from all over the world because of the move of God going on. You're going to have a lot of guest pastors. And so sometimes, out of courtesy, uh, Pastor Seymour would let an unknown guest pastor stand up and say something. And, uh, and he wouldn't always be there in the service. Often he would be up above praying. Well, there was uh, one time he was up above praying, and so some of the elders were running the service, and there was a guest minister from another country, and he wanted to, he wanted to get up and do his thing. And so um, they let him go up and let him greet the crowd and say what was, on, what was on his heart. Well, he took that moment for his, that was his moment to shine. And he, as they say, took the microphone, and they don't really, didn't have microphones back then, but, you know, that was his hour to grab the mic and tell everybody how great he is and what he knows. And so he, he's talking and talking and talking. And one of the old Pentecostal mothers sitting on the front row, a member of the Zeusa Street, very close to William Seymour, after about 20 minutes, she just said out loud, she said, Mister, can't you see that you don't have any anointing? And we all know that. 
<laughs> Woo! Praise the Lord. Said it in front of all the thousands of people. Mister, can't you see that you don't have any anointing, and we all know it? Mm-mm. Wow. Let me see if I can delicately say this and conceal it. Because I am in ministry full-time, and uh, ministry is a lot of it's networking. You get to meet people, get to know each other, and stuff like that. And although there's thousands of ministers, it's amazing how everybody kind of gets to know each other. You cross paths or stuff like that. There was one of these prophets that was just saying, Trump told me, uh, God told me Trump is going to win again. And and he was prophesying like a steam engine. God said this and God said that. And boy, people were eating it up and he was getting lifted up and churches all over. Come over here and say it over here. And uh, boy, he was, he was having a high water moment. I was always thinking the whole time, this is not going to end good for him. Why? Because I've seen him behind the scenes. I've seen him when there's no TVs and the TV's not rolling and the camera's not rolling. I've seen him what he's really like. And my wife and I thought, wow, this is a very hurting individual who has a real identity problem. He doesn't really know who he is and he's very insecure in who he is. And these people are out here pumping him up. They don't know that the real person really struggles with insecurity. And uh, I hope his ministry continues. He has gotten, he has fallen from such a height in a sense where he took it really hard. He apologized. But as I thought, he wasn't going to take full responsibility. He apologized and at the same time said, it didn't happen because Trump didn't do what he was supposed to do. And I repent for being wrong. But all of that is, you know, he needs healing. So the, the, this stuff of trying to act like you're somebody when you're not, uh, you're, you're setting yourself up to get hurt. And if, and if you're a minister and you're empowering somebody to do that, um, you could, if they're, if they're younger ministers, um, you're, you're dealing with something where you could, they could get destroyed. And this is, uh, these things should not be done. They should not be done. If nobody has anything, we should all sit quiet. Well, somebody's got to say something. No, nobody should say anything if they have not heard from God. Nobody should say anything. The problem is, is that we've had too many that, that, that are like, well, uh, this is my time. This is my opportunity. And so um, we've, we've got to learn how to get into that dark cloud, hear from the Lord, or be quiet, as well as to have the hearing ear that can discern true anointing in its different levels, the different frequencies on the different anointing levels. Whoo, praise God. Hallelujah. When a true prophecy is, is true, man, it, it'll, it, it'll have a zing to it. Praise God. <laughs> you know, let me say this in closing. There are a lot of well-known political figures that you'd be surprised how God gets prophets to them. True, true prophets, not fakes, true ones. Now, there are, there are the goofballs that even try to pull this on, you know, I've got to work for the president. Yeah, get in line with the other 2,000 that think they do too. But there are those prophets that do get words for the president regardless of his stance on 
uh, on you know ethics or morals. He's still if he's in the office, God. It's amazing what God will do, even for some of the ones that are really sinners. Uh, th- stop and think about how God tried to w- work with Ahab and would send prophets to him. And this is a guy that's a murderer. <laughs> so, uh, but yet he's he's the one running the ship. So God cares about the ship. So uh, it's very very interesting how God can get prophets to leaders, but often those aren't really known or really celebrated for the true authority they carry. Praise the Lord. So we need to be more, more demanding of precision with what is coming forth and also what we allow ourselves to hear. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I have sat in meetings before where occult power is operating through a compromised minister. And everybody's going, ooh, ooh, this is God. And I'm thinking, no. That is a familiar spirit working through that person with, with valid wonders, but they're originating from the dark realm. And uh, it'll blow up eventually, and it does, and it does. It's, uh, I, I, and I've seen it happen. So we, we're going to have to get more precise. We're going to have to get more precise, and um, we're going to have to be insistent that we eat the finest of the wheat and not eat barley. By the way, barley was rough. You would feed your mule, your donkey, the barley. <laughs> you would only eat barley <laughs> if uh, there's not too much else in the pantry. Praise the Lord. Now, Father, we thank you. We give you praise. Father, I don't want to scare your people, but I do want your people to know that we have to be selective in our hearing and in spiritually what we're putting into our spirits just as we have to be selective in the food that we take into our bodies, and we, we need to know what's on the, on the label. Thank you, Father. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for the ability to go into your presence, into the dark cloud, and to receive the unveiling of mysteries of what's really going on. Now, we thank you for insight, for peace, and we thank you for great stability. We give you praise, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You know, you can go on the internet and you can see some of the world's leading financial advisors talking about the debt problem of America, the financial demise of America. And oh, yes, there are, there are a lot of problems. There's a huge debt, $30 trillion debt, all of this and that. And as they're talking about how bad it is, you notice they have left the country. They've moved to Puerto Rico to hide out and observe the collapse from a distance. And you have those from the Silicon Valley that are ready at a moment's notice to get on their private jets and fly to their bunkers and their food storage uh, bunkers way down at the bottom of the world in New Zealand. They're all so strong in their own strength. But you know what? God's not done with America yet, and God is going to preserve this nation. It's going to get a little shaky, and it's going to get uh, very, very interesting, but we're on the verge of a move of God's Spirit, and it trembles the devil uh, when he even considers uh, something like this. But my friends, get ready for the glory. Praise the Lord. And I'll also say this, regardless of any type of a shaking 
or bursting of any type of a bubble. And there's probably about nine to 10 bubbles that we have right now in our nation. You have a stock market bubble. <laughs> you have stocks that are trading hundreds of dollars in value. They're not, they're not worth it. And you, you could have a stock trading at $4 a share. That's uh, a multi-billion dollar company with no debt. And it's at $4 and others, other stocks that, that are trading at hundreds of dollars a share that are loaded with debt. And uh, it's just, it's just a, crazy, it's a crazy bubble. And you have bubbles in other areas, commercial real estate and stuff like that. So I'm just saying if a bubble pops, regardless of what happens, the covenant will work for you and it will override circumstances, even their job layoffs. You're a covenant child of God. You're going forward. You're going ahead. And the light, the glory will be seen on you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So because the glory is going to be resting on you, you must demand a higher standard of truth. Your spiritual diet must be clean, must be pure. Praise the Lord. And I'm not just saying listen to me. There's many, many plethora of good, excellent ministers that are out there that are very solid in what they're saying. Praise the Lord. But sometimes uh, hype is actually celebrated, particularly here in America. We have, uh, it's almost like a celebrity, a blinding celebrity status. And uh, I will say this, mixed in with that is a lot of sensuality. You'd be shocked at how much sensuality and worldliness is in that celebrity Christianity. And uh, I'm not saying there's something wrong with being well-known or you're, you know, having a large ministry, but you have to be careful. There's, there's a balance in there with fame and also humility. There's a balance in there with prosperity and also uh, just not getting carried away with worldliness. Praise the Lord. We thank God for the Holy Spirit who helps us to catch that right balance. Now, if you're watching today's program and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and maybe you've thought, I don't want to accept Christ because I've seen too much hypocrisy in the church. Let me say this. You'll have plenty to hang your hat on by looking at the church with our mistakes, our errors, and our flaws. And we don't, we can't, we don't say it's okay. It's not right. But we're just saying all in all, though, those in Christ do have forgiveness of our sins. And uh, we are not perfect. The church is not perfect, but the church is forgiven. So if you want to receive eternal life, it comes through Christ and you will be added to the church. But we're all human. And until we go home to be with the Lord, we will not be able to come into that full, completed, perfected state. But we will continue to grow in the Lord, grow in His wisdom, His anointing, His grace, His understanding. So don't let the failure of others hold you back from making your own personal decision to receive Christ. And by the way, many sinners use that as an excuse. It's only an excuse. Well, that preacher, he was wrong, or he did this wrong. But you know what? We stand in the finished work of the cross. So come on over and receive Christ today. If you're ready, pray this prayer after me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you died to save sinners like me. Jesus, come into my heart. Wash all of my sins away. Save me now. Write my name in your book of life. And Jesus, I give my heart to you. And from this day forward, lead me and guide me in all that I do. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. 
Those of you that have just prayed that prayer for the first time, you now belong to Jesus. Find, find a Christian who's mature in the Lord, who can help you get water baptized. That's, that is your next step. Water baptism is an expression of your commitment to live for Jesus. It's where you make your public confession. I have given my heart to Christ, and you identify with that through water baptism. So find a mature believer. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a minister, but find somebody who's mature in the Lord who can lead you in water baptism. Praise the Lord. Now, let's all take Holy Communion. Grab some unleavened bread. Hallelujah. And grab some grape juice. Let's pray over it. Father, we thank you for the communion, the body, and the blood of the Lord Jesus. We consecrate the bread and the juice now. We thank you. We thank you. This is the body and the blood of Christ our Savior. We thank you, Father God, for deserting the ear. We thank you for access into the most holy place where you dwell. Thank you, Father, the cherubim still around you, the seraphim circling around you. We give you praise, Father God. Thank you, Father. Help us to never follow a crowd in a sense where the crowd would go into evil or would go into error, regardless of who is consummating that crowd, who, who's in the crowd. Help us to think. Help us to pray. Help us to hear from you. Thank you, Father God. We bless you. Father, we ask that you would bless the bread, the body. We thank you. We receive the Lord's body now in his name. Amen. Let's partake. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We ask that if we've committed any sins, that you would forgive us and wash all of our sins away. Thank you, Father. We ask that you would lead us away from temptation. We ask that you would deliver us from the evil one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's receive the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take a look at that scripture one more time in closing. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. Praise the Lord. Well, I pray that you will dwell in the dark cloud with the Lord. Hallelujah. A lot of light, a lot of light there in that darkness. <laughs> a lot of illumination there in that dark cloud. I see you as a receiver of divine insight. Thanks for watching. I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.